You're listening to Megiddo Radio. Megiddo Radio is a radio ministry of Megiddo Media. For more, visit our website at megiddoradio.com. That's megiddoradio.com. Welcome, everybody. This is Paul Flynn with Megiddo Radio for Tuesday, the 7th of December. Thank you all for tuning in. On tonight's program, we're going to be getting back to the larger catechism. We're going to be starting around, where are we now? We're question 74. We're going to be starting that, hoping to get, hoping to get to around question 79 of the Westminster Larger Catechism. Don't worry, you can, hopefully, by God's grace, you can follow along. Anyway, it's... Regardless of whether you hold to the Westminster Confession or not as your subordinate standard, I pray by God's grace that you can learn as we go through this catechism and hopefully see that the rich blessing that there is to go through catechisms of the Reformation, be that the Heidelberg, there's the shorter catechism, which is just basically a shorter version of the one we're going through here, and there's there's other ones, there's many ones that were done during the Reformation, is just... These are the ones that, that have tended to test to stand the test of time. Hope you're all doing well in our ever-changing world. And um, the plan is for the rest of the year, there's not going to be a ton more programs between now and the end of the year. Last week, I wanted to focus. I was uh, preaching a pre-communion and a communion sermon, so I kind of really wanted to focus on those last week. So that's why there was no program last week. And uh, if you ever want to listen to any of these sermons, if you're on Sermon Audio, the vast majority of the sermons are on there. So if you want to find them there, you can. And um, is there anything? What else? So today we're going to go through the larger catechism. Next week, I am contemplating going through, well, which will be the last program of the year. I'm going to be taking a few weeks off after that. Um, I don't keep Christmas. I think people know who've been following this program long enough. Uh, I've done no, nothing by way of my um, my opposition for Christmas, but you can, if you want to know why I don't observe Christmas, you can go back to all earlier programs from years ago. Uh, I just think with what everything that's going on, it, there's, um, there's probably, I wouldn't say bigger fish to fry, this is important as well, but um, with the with where the church is and with where the state is and everything else like that, um, we've got to we've got to be united and we've got to be united against this onslaught. I think we are definitely looking at most countries around the world, Western countries at least, some kind of vaccine mandate. We're looking at. I've nothing against vaccines at all. I think it, they are. I used to be anti-vax years ago. Um, reading books by people like Paul Offit and other people who have been vaccine developers has you know changed my mind in that year. You know, in the recent years. But apart from that, it, it's a personal decision. There's voluntary consent, and you it should never be forced on anybody. Any kind of medical procedure, and um, so. 
the world has already forgotten the, Nurnberg, the, the lessons of Nuremberg following the Second World War and the, the atrocities there and the excuses that were used there, which was following orders and um, whether it's Australia, Austria, Germany, C Canada, parts of the United States. Uh, I say parts of the United States because some parts of the states are thankfully giving some opposition to what's going on. And um, I kind of maybe next week, pray for me in this, want to kind of very thoughtfully go through where the Bible stands on these things and how we are to truly love our neighbor, how we are not to join in oppression, and how we are to go forward in this. Um, yeah, so keep me in your prayers on that. So, and that would be... Uh, that would be the last program of the year, returning then in January. That's the plan anyway, unless something else happens. Hopefully not. But um, we have this sword and constant threat of various governments around the world to they have the sword of lockdown hanging over our heads repeatedly. And it's, it, it's, it's uh, abusive psychological behavior and it's... It's frankly unacceptable. And um, how we go forward, whatever way we go forward, we we can't fight with each other. We need to go forward together or else we have no chance. Um, the, de the enemy would love of us to fight with one another. We've got to realize we're not the enemy. We just, brothers and sisters, haven't either, haven't come to this point yet. You just hope, <laughs> you just hope that people wouldn't, live to join in with the tyranny. That's the danger. And that's why I'm hoping to do next week's program. There's a sense of which I don't care what the government does to a point, but I do care how the church responds. I hope, I hope, of course, humanly speaking and everything else, that the way it looks like it's going... It won't go like that way. It won't go the way it's going in Austria and Germany where they're treating unvaccinated people like lepers and all this kind of stuff. You just, you, you hope it won't happen. And Lord willing, it, it won't happen. We don't know the future, of course, but it's, I think it's pretty clear the direction things are going. They're not ruling anything out. They're kind of, yeah, I think anybody who's been following things long enough knows the direction things are going. So hoping to go through that in full detail next week because I I want it to be well thought out and um, hopefully a blessing. It'll be something that'll go on YouTube as well. This like most programs don't go on YouTube anymore. So keep us in your prayers on that. So to start off the program, before we get into our questions of the larger catechism, and the, and the questions of the larger catechism tie really in well with what I'm just talking about, which is our response to, you know, we, we need to be salt and light in the world, and we need to not join in with tyranny, and that, and that has all to do with our fruit, Christian fruit. And the grace of God changes us. Anybody who has become a Christian has been made a new creature. They have somehow been, cha they've been changed from loving sin and hating righteousness to loving righteousness 
and hating sin. Not perfectly this side of eternity, but they have been changed. And this is the subject we'll be looking at on today's program, how God's grace changes us. And it will change us. It will change some people more than others in this life, but it will change us. And we're going to read, as we always do, we start off with Scripture, uh, John 15, verses 1 to 8. Uh, We're going to read this first before we get into the main part of our program, and we're going to pray to Almighty God before we begin. Heavenly Father, Lord in heaven, please bless those listening live, and we pray, O Lord, that you would bless this reading of your word. Please guide us in these difficult and dark days. We pray, O Lord, for the nations to turn to you, and we pray, O Lord, that you would be glorified in all these things. In Jesus' name we now pray. Amen. Okay. Um, also, before we just read this section of God's Word, I also just mention before we get into the main part, uh, feel free to email megiddoradio at gmail.com if you have any questions during the program, megiddoradio at gmail.com. Have, uh, I have that email open in front of me, so if you have any questions during the program, feel free to send off an email there. John 15, we're going to read verses 1 to 8. Let us hear God's Word. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and withered and is withered. And they gather them and thrown them into the fire. And they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. For this my father is glorified and you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. And then another passage we're going to look at briefly as well is from Matthew chapter 7, which basically makes more or less the same point that a, a true convert will produce fruit. It just depends on how much, there, but there will be a degree of fruit there. And if you, I'm just going to read a small section here from Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 down to verse 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, This is Jesus speaking here. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And very, very simply summed up as this, before we get into question, was it 74 onwards in the larger catechism, no fruit, no root. There is a, there is a change that happens, and that change that happens in this life, where we are changed and conformed into the image of Christ, is called sanctification. But there's also other things as well we'll be looking at as well, how God's grace changes us. So, question 
74 with the Westminster Larger Catechism is what is adoption. So this is dealing with the blessing of adoption. And the blessing of adoption shouldn't just be t taken as a given, um, how would I put it, with the doctrine of justification, like some kind of a tag-on. It is a wonderful blessing that we have been made part of the family of God. Yes, because we have been justified, declared righteous, but that is also another blessing of what Christ has done for us, his people, those who have trusted in him. And it says, what is adoption? Adoption is an act of the free grace of God <clears throat> in and for his only son, Jesus Christ, whereby all those who are justified are received into the number of his children, have his name put upon them, the spirit of his son given to them, are under his fatherly care and dispensations, admitted to all the liberties and privileges of the sons of God, made heirs of all the promises and fellow heirs of Christ in glory. So that blessing, that is, of adoption, and adoption is something we should think about a lot more. There's been a book that I've bought, I haven't, it's supposed to be really good, Gard, I think Gardner, it was written a couple of years ago, published by PNR, uh, Sons in the Sun, um, there's some older works recently published by Thomas Houston, Thomas Houston was a Reformed Presbyterian who served in Northern Ireland, well it wasn't Northern Ireland at the time, but Ulster, and so there hasn't really been compared to other things, much focus on adoption. But this is one of the things that we, we partake of that we've been given as, as those who have been justified. We are received into a number of his children. We are made heirs, fellow heirs with Christ. And made part of that royal family. When you think of Moses was made part of the royal family in Egypt. He was taken and cared for. But he turned his back. He forsook, Hebrews 11, 27 tells us, he forsook Egypt. He basically forsook that royal family for another. The one in Christ. We are a... Royal priesthood, First Peter tells us. A royal priesthood, we're part of that royal family. You know, people often hear about Meghan and Harry, and people are always fascinated by the royals in, in the UK, and although, are they really royals anymore? But whatever the case, being part of that royal family, it comes with responsibilities. It comes with certain duties. It, it come, there's, there's a way you're expected to behave. And when people talk about Meghan Markle, she hasn't exactly been respectful of her grandmother, the Queen. Or Harry's grandmother, at least. So part of that royal family, but clearly not trashing upon the name. There's a responsibility. 
And if you are brought into that royal family, there's things you gotta learn to do. There's, it's different. Whatever my American friends may think of, you know, kings and queens and all that kind of thing. Um, but you realize, you know, even if you marry into a certain family, um, there's certain, there's a, you could say a reputation or whatever. Um, even, even in this case. Now, when we talk about being adopted as heirs or sons of God, this is even more important. This is a royal family with power, with might. We talk about the one in with Queen Elizabeth II, mostly ceremonial. The royal family, they're supposed to stay out of politics, really, when, when they manage to do that. But we're part of a royal family where our God, our king, the king of kings, has ultimate power over all the things. We have a greater, more wonderful privilege than anybody part of any royal family upon this earth. And we've been given greater care and love than we ever deserved. And we are fellow heirs. I don't think we really meditate upon that blessing, that blessing of adoption as nearly as much as we ought to. I include myself in that. It's something that we shouldn't just skip over. And, like I said, even just that, becoming part of a new family, becoming part of a royal family, becoming part of the king's family, there's a requirement that we act accordingly. Question 75, then, what is sanctification? This is going to get on to how how grace, how God's grace changes his people. And the answer here to 75 is, sanctification is a work of God's grace, whereby they whom God hath, before the foundation of the world, chosen to be holy, are in time, through the powerful operation of his Spirit, applying the death and resurrection of Christ unto them, renewed in their whole man after the image of God, having the seeds of repentance unto life and all other saving graces put into their hearts. And those graces are st so stirred up, inc increased and strengthened, as they more and more die unto sin and rise unto newness of life. So, sanctification. It's a work of God's grace. It is something that God does to us. And it is something that immediately follows conversion. And it is only those chosen before the foundation of the world. Because nobody else will have been given this spirit of adoption. They're chosen to be holy. That's what we're meant to be. No, we're not perfectly holy in this world, but that's what we're meant to be. Be holy. For I am holy. That's what we're meant to be. 
Now, weirdly enough, I don't think this is streaming anymore. Huh. So, I'm going to try to start streaming again. Well, the podcast will have to do, you guys. Uh, apologies, anybody who was attempting to listen live. Don't know what happened there. It wasn't any problem on my end. It seems to be a problem on Sermon Audio. Which is uh, disappointing, to say the least. So, anyway, so continuing on with dealing with sanctification. Chosen to be holy are in time, through the powerful operation of his spirit, applying the death and resurrection of Christ unto them, renewing their whole man after the image of God. So renewing the whole man, being made alive, applying the death and resurrection, we're dying to self. There's a newness of life. We have something wonderful. So hopefully people are back on there. I don't know what happened there. So if anyone's listening in, could you email me at radio at gmail.com? I don't know. I I switched it off and I started the stream again. So let's try this. Yeah. Not sure what happened there. Well, it seems to have gone back. Yeah, I, I just think I've lost everybody. <laughs> Apologies. Yeah. Um, so, having the seeds of repentance unto life. So, if you've repented unto life, there, it won't just be a one-time repentance. It will be a repentance that continues. It will be something you grow in. It is something where... There will be evidence that you were given life in the first place. And it says, all other saving graces put into their hearts. You see, these saving graces, the grace is something given to them. Even the faith to believe, that faith to believe is a saving grace. put into their hearts, and those graces so stirred up, increased and strengthened, so that they more and more die unto sin. When you're asked to follow Christ, you're asked to die. Well, that's probably something that's not put on many evangelism invitation to church attempts when we're just trying to tell everybody we're so nice why can't you see how nice we are attempts at evangelism we're really you're trying to win people over to us now we're not wonderful i'm not saying we should be horrible or anything else like that we should be loving we should be kind we should ever but our main attempt is to lead people not to us, but to Christ. So that they would see, we're not wonderful, but Christ is wonderful. 
And by God's grace, hopefully we are changed enough to reflect the work of Christ in our lives. But we're asked to die. To die unto sin. To reject, turn our backs on this fallen and sinful world. But it, it doesn't just end there. You know, here's the negative. You see, I don't think that, I, I know, not that I don't think, I know this message doesn't get across. It's like we present the gospel like it's some kind of little tweak. You're, you're going one bad direction just to change a little bit. No, you're to die to sin. To put it to death. Execute it. Cut off. Forsake Egypt. And what? Pursue Christ. Seeing him who is invisible, who is love, who is all that we need. And rise unto newness of life. Rise unto newness of life because his resurrection is our resurrection. We don't talk about dying to self much. Dying to sin. Putting to death putting to death the deeds of the flesh. And that's what we grow in. And the, we, can only, we can only grow in holiness as we put to death sin. And unless you have a growth in your hatred of sin, you don't have a growth in your relationship with God. God's, and, and this will happen, all of us, some tenfold, some one hundredfold, it's not the same for everybody this side of eternity. But we will all be changed by God's grace. And we will all continue to grow in some way and capacity if we have been born again, born from on high regenerated by the Spirit of God, that we would die more and more to sin and rise into newness of life. Now, we may say, you wonder, you look back in your life and you wonder, is there any changes in my life? Am I actually a Christian? You may struggle with this and all this kind of thing. But I'm, I guarantee you, other people will see. The longer you're a Christian, we may go through difficult times. But we've got to take the long view. Sometimes, right? I don't know, do any of you go to the gym? And you know when you start going to the gym at the beginning, you start to see amazing results. You know, you start getting a lot fitter, maybe a lot stronger at the beginning. But after a while, you kind of hit a plateau. And the growth becomes harder and harder to see. Well, it can be a bit like that. It takes years to get to, you know, the elite athlete level. And the, and, the, and the improvements are small and incremental. But when you're a new believer in Jesus Christ, it looks huge, it looks different, it looks massive. Some people who have been raised in the church are covenant children, born again, possibly even in their mother's womb. They have never, they don't know what it's like to experience that. So it's even harder for somebody who's been raised in the church. 
This is often why somebody who's been raised in the church can struggle with their assurance, especially around their teenage years. See, I remember being born again 2009, massive change in my life because I went from being out in the world to, you know, massive change in my desires, everything else. But even then, you know, you have these doubts months later, is it truly conversion? Am I truly saved? And you have to grow in that. Sometimes the Lord will keep assurance back from you so that you would draw and lean upon him more and more and not trust in yourself. Not just think, well, I'm okay. I'm going to heaven. That's fine. The Lord will at times remove assurance from you in order that you would draw nigh unto him. God has a purpose. All things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. All these things, all these things that you struggle through, all these things that the Lord brings into your life, the Lord does it for a reason, to change you. It is not just about getting to heaven. And it doesn't matter how we live here. It's about glorifying God and being holy and growing in sanctification here and now, that God would change us and that God would be glorified th through that change. And in that change, it would all point towards God and His work and His grace and His mercy. Question 76 says, What is repentance unto life? Answer, repentance unto life is a saving grace wrought in the heart of a sinner by the Spirit and Word of God. Whereby, out of the sight and sense, not only of the danger, but also of the filthiness and odiousness of his sin, and upon the apprehension of God's mercy in Christ, to such as are penitent, he so grieves for and hates his sins, as that he turns from them all to God, proposing and endeavoring constantly to walk with him in all the ways of new obedience. Of new obedience. So, repentance unto life is a saving grace. This is, this is something that God grants. It's a saving grace it is not something that we can work up within us. If it was all men everywhere are commanded to repent. I believe the gospel and anybody doesn't come, it is their own fault. It is because of their own evil, sinful heart. But if you have come, it is because of God. It is a saving grace. I will have mercy upon whom I will have mercy. Wrought in the heart of a sinner by the Spirit and Word of God. So this is something that the Spirit of God does in the heart of a believer and also by the Word of God working on them. Whereby out of the sight and sense, not only of the danger, so out of the sight and sense, not only of the danger, so the danger of a soul, 
the danger of hell, the danger of the direction he is going, etc. and so on. But also, it says, of the filthiness and odiousness of his sin. His eyes see and his senses see, spiritually speaking, how horrible his sin is. So what does he want to do from that sin? He wants to turn from it. Again, it is like having your eyes open for the first time. And only when you open your eyes for the first time can you fully appreciate works of art, paintings. Can you fully appreciate the sunset in the morning? People can talk to you about it, but you don't see it. You don't think it's that great until you actually behold it with your own eyes. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Who trusts in him is blessed. Psalm 34 verse 8. So he sees the danger, it says in Ezekiel 18.28, because he considereth and turneth away from all his transgressions that he hath committed, he shall surely live, he shall not die. And the same answer, answer 76, and upon the apprehension of God's mercy in Christ to such as are penitent, excuse me, And upon the apprehension of God's mercy in Christ to such as are penitent and so grieves for and hates his sin. It's not just some la-di-da casual attitude to sin. Repentance unto life is a growth and a hatred of sin. As that he turns from them all to God proposing and endeavoring constantly to walk with him, purposing, sorry, not purposing, and endeavoring constantly to walk with him in all the ways of new obedience. It is not just that you're saying, well, I'll obey God here and here, but I'm not going to do it here. That is the talk of a lost person. Now, of course, we fall short. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and there's none... Righteous, no, not one. And none of us stand up to the perfect standards of God's law before, during, or after salvation, or whatever the case may be, this side of eternity. But our attitude is that we wish to follow God wherever He leads us. And though we may fail, that is what we are purposing and endeavoring to do. There is two ways we are to live. There's a sense in which we're to live idealistically. We are to follow God. God says it, we do it. That's it. But we also live realistically because we realize we're sinners. And the source of our joy, the source of our comfort as we go forward in this life and as we grow in sanctification is not based on the perfection of our sanctification. It's not perfect. It's pretty pretty poor really now our, our sin is weak but if it's true and saving faith it's not just something where all oh, I'll do it's not the bare minimum we don't have that attitude of bare minimum 
we have the attitude of to God be the glory. Yes, 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 we fall. We fail. We, we mess up. Yes, yes, yes. But we don't say that that's the standard. Our miserable best is the standard. The standard is Christ. We wish to be like Christ, not our miserable best. Constantly to walk with him in all the ways of new obedience. And that is the, if you wish, you want to be like Christ, you don't like your sin, you are, you're miserable when you fall into sin. That is a sign that you have been changed and you've been converted and that you're growing in holiness. And you take greater comfort in the word of God. And Okay, let's look now at 77, which is a really important question, which is wherein do justification and sanctification differ? So justification and sanctification. And this is where Roman Catholicism has corrupted the gospel in that it really just blends the two together and treats justification and sanctification as pretty much the same thing. They are connected. They are inseparably connected because somebody who is justified will be sanctified, yes. But they are distinct. They are distinct. Sanctification, I haven't started reading the answer yet, but sanctification is a change in this life. Justification is our legal standing, our declarated, our, our, our stand, the perfect righteousness of Christ, our, our perfect standing before God, declared righteous before God. It's declarative based on the merits of Christ. So let's read this answer, answer 77. Although sanctification be inseparably joined with justification, yet they differ in that God in justification imputeth the righteousness of Christ. In sanctification, his spirit infuseth grace and enableth to the exercise thereof. In the former sin is pardoned, in the other it is subdued. In one doth equally free all believers from the revenging wrath of God and that perfectly in this life that they never fall into condemnation. The other is neither equal in all, nor in this life perfect in any, but growing up to perfection. So that's question 77. So the difference between the two, right? Let's go through this point by point as they talk about it here in the Westminster Larger Catechism. Again, guys, if anybody's joining at this point in the program, feel free to email me at Megiddo Radio, that's M-E-G-I-D-D-O Radio at gmail.com, and you, I can answer questions during the program or indeed afterwards. There is, in case somebody's listening, there's one email that I have to get back to that just popped into my head. Um, probably should have done probably should have answered that program on tonight's program or that question on tonight's program but I digress uh, I will get back to you by email that person knows who I'm talking about but um so Megiddo radio M-E-G-I-D-D-O 
at gmail.com if anything hasn't been explained well. All right, so justification, uh, sanctification being separately joined with justification, yet they differ. So they're joined, there's a link between the two of them for the saved believer. However, they are distinct. They differ. In that God in justification imputeth the righteousness of Christ. That word imputeth, it's accredited, or they are treated as if they lived Christ's perfect life before the throne of God. Imputation. It is different to being infused. Infused is like we are, it's justification has no, has nothing to do with us being changed. That's sanctification. But it's to do with our standing or how we are viewed by the throne of heaven. So if you look up other words for impute, so look up some words for impute, attribute, ascribe, credit, a credit, um, that kind of idea. It is different to the word infuse. And when you think of the word infuse, you're thinking more of um, kind of change, fill. I'm not saying that these are the best terms to use, but um, even another synonym that's used in that theological discussions that I've seen, like leaven or... It goes into something and changes it. Whereas the other one is more to do with credit and debit. You know, for example, someone may pay your pay off your bills. So say, right, you, you go to you go to the coffee shop with your friend, and they you both get coffees and whatever, and that, that friend of yours pays for your coffee. And, you know, pays for the, all the coffees, so then, therefore, it's treated as if the coffee's been paid for. It's kind of a credit-debit kind of idea, de declaring that kind of sense. However, when it comes to infusing... It's the changing of the person. You see, our justification doesn't in any way depend on us. It's something to do with the throne room of heaven and how we are, our legal standing, our declared standing before God, righteous, holy, just, we, before the throne, by justification, we're, we're seen as, as if we lived Christ's perfect life. The just shall live by faith. That never changes. Praise God. That, that, that righteous legal standard has been fulfilled in our place. So, therefore, we are never in danger of ever losing our salvation, ever, because of that fact. 
However, sanctification is infusing. It is where we, as a people here on this earth, have been changed. There's a difference made to us. There is new desires, new affections. That is part of sanctification. But it is not perfect. We still struggle with the old man. Look at Romans chapter 7. So in sanctification, his spirit infuseth grace and enableth to the exercise thereof. So this is the enabling part. This is where he changes us here on this earth. In the former, sin is pardoned. So in justification, sin is pardoned completely. Completely. Otherwise, God could never look with delight upon us because we've been justified in, by, by faith alone in Jesus Christ, he can delight in us. Remember when it, around his baptism, around Christ's baptism, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He fulfilled the law perfectly. Sin is pardoned because he took the punishment that was due to us. That's justification. Forgiveness, complete forgiveness, and the completion of what the first Adam was meant to do, the keeping of the perfect righteous standard of God, we are seen as righteous before God. In the other, it says in this answer here, it is subdued. That is in sanctification. Sin is subdued, but it's still there in sanctification. It is subdued. In one, doth equally free all believers, equally free all believers from the revenging wrath of God. So, that's in justification. We, who are believers, regardless of what your beliefs are, or what you have done since your conversion, it doesn't matter. We have all, we are equally free from the revenging wrath of God. That is hell. And that doth, and that perfectly, in this life it says, that they never fall into condemnation. Never, ever, ever fall into condemnation because Jesus Christ has satisfied justice in our behalf. He has kept the law perfectly on our behalf and he's also taken the penalty. There's complete forgiveness and there is that perfect righteous standard, that righteousness of Christ imputed to our account. We are accredited, we are seen as righteous based upon Christ. Goes on to say that the other is neither equal in all. So, in justification is equal to all people. Every single person, every believer has the same, every believer has all their sins washed away in Christ Jesus. Every believer has the righteousness, the same righteousness of Christ, imputed to their account. But the, but sanctification on this earth is not equal to all. It is not the same to all. It's not the same degree to all. It will be there to a degree, but it will not be identical to all. I really, really like how this is put. 
This is really, really helpful. The other is neither equal in all, nor in this life perfect in any way. Don't look for perfect sanctification. Now, there's two ways that that could be taken. That could be taken in a kind of a antinomian lawlessness. Ah, I don't care how I live. That's all fine. Whoop-de-doo. We're all sinners. You're sinners. I'm sinners. That's an evil and callous way to look at that. That's not the way we're to look at that. However, none of us, I don't care whether it's John Calvin, William Perkins, Martin Luther, James Buchanan, name the person from church history, J.C. Ryle, none of them had perfect sanctification. None of them. And that's probably a good way to think about, you know, today we can be very disappointed in lots of different things. And there's a certain sense of, yeah, we... The church and many of society, we haven't responded well over the last um, 18, 19 months. We haven't. And can I, can I let you in on something here? We, as sinners, we're going to disappoint each other. Don't look for perfection in other believers. But if you lived during the time of Stephen Charnock, Robert Trail, you, you go on through all the you know, James Durham, name all the, the the giants of church history past. They didn't have a perfect sanctification either. Now I'm not saying therefore, well, don't try to learn from them. Yes, learn from them. They're, these are fantastic people to learn from. They're, you can get their books still. Read the Turtons, read all these kind of people from church history. But they, just like you, didn't have a perfect sanctification. Their sanctification wasn't perfect this side of eternity either. And I can guarantee you, the failures that we have when we, 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 we fall short of the glory of God when the, when the devil hurls accusations before us and before the throne of grace, other men of the past, men and women, have faced the same. But growing up to perfection, there's coming a time in the future when we shall see him, Jesus Christ, as he is. And we shall be like him. Do we think enough about glorification? Oh, there's so many things we don't think enough about. Um, it's one of the, the most tragic things of the church, much of, I'm talking about wider Christianity today. We, we don't think enough about the gospel. We don't think enough about heaven to come. We're, we're, we're obsessed about Things to do with eschatology, which if eschatology is done well, that's, that's part of the gospel and done well. But I'm talking about more speculative things, you know, pre-tribulation, rapture, all this kind of stuff. And you'll get all sorts of stuff about certain 
speculative views about anti-prophecies, all that kind of stuff. And that will that will pack out things. People think that people have gotten prophecies about Trump and all this kind of nonsense. But when it comes to stuff that is guaranteed, we will all, all believers in Jesus Christ, will one day experience perfection. Growing up to perfection because of the work of Jesus Christ. It says in 2 Corinthians 7, 1, Having therefore the, these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. In Philippians 3, 12, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Another verse that, I, that would be helpful, I think, here is Romans chapter 8. which deals with golden chain redemption. Start from verse 28 of Romans 8. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose, for whom he foreknew. He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called, whom he called, these he also justified, and whom he justified, these he also glorified. We're not going to have perfection here in this life, but we will in the world to come. When there be no pain, no suffering, no disappointments. Because we all fall short of the glory of God. Every single last one of us. I wonder if we've got time to do... Let's do 78. See if we can get 78 and 79 done as well. Whence ariseth the imperfection of sanctification in believers? 78. The answer is the imperfection of sanctification in believers ariseth from the remnants of sin abiding in every part of them, and the perpetual lusting of the flesh against the spirit, whereby they are often foiled with temptations, and fall into many sins, are hindered in all their spiritual services, and their best works are imperfect defiled in the sight of God. And that's not just you, that is every single person this side of eternity, as we have just mentioned. Question 79 as well, very much ties into what we've already said. Many may not true believers, by reason of their imperfections and the many temptations and sins they are overtaken with, fall away from the state of grace. The answer it is here, true believers, by reason, now, notice how this is saying true believers, not every person who says they are a believer. Make a distinction. Not every person who says, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. 
but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. True believers, by the reason of the unchangeable love of God, if you're a true believer in Jesus Christ, the unchangeable love of God toward you cannot change. That's why it's called unchangeable. And his decree and covenant to give them perseverance, their inseparable union with Christ, his continual intercession for them, and the Spirit and seed of God abiding in them, can neither totally nor finally fall away from the state of grace, but are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. So if you are a true believer, you cannot fall away. If you know somebody who has fallen away, rejected the faith, you know, once professed, but now no longer does, and says, you know, that they clearly don't believe now, well, they never did believe in the, in at any time, which can be hard for us to wrap our heads around. There are people who have written books. There are people who have... Who was that guy who did that book? I guess dating goodbye and very sad. I think he left his wife and a couple of other things and he left the Christian faith there. What was it about? I did a program on a couple of years ago. Was it Joshua Harris? Um, anyway, and there's other examples. There's examples of people who have walked away and, and walked away from the evangelical faith. And, and this is not just something, by the way, don't treat it as something that's unique to the modern church. This has been happening for centuries. This is this is always going to happen. There are tares among the wheat. There are um, the, chapter 25 of the Westminster Confession of Faith tells us that the purest churches under heaven are subject to mixture and error. There will be those who are not born again among God's people. Judas was among God's people and he was not born again. So, and, you know, I suppose you could point towards other examples like Saul and people like that. Um, but I think the most obvious example is Judas. I think a lot of times in the Bible we're not told. We might say that person doesn't have a lot of fruit. It doesn't look good. You know, the Manassas and, you know, kings like that. It's like, Ooh, that doesn't look good. But at the same time, sometimes we're not told and we're just told that they sinned. And... We're not told whether you know that person was lost, that person was saved, because people can fall into pretty bad sins even though they're born again. Look at David. Um, but if you're a true believer, so if somebody falls away completely, they, they were never a believer in the first place. For whatever reason, for whatever reason, they profess faith in Jesus Christ. But it wasn't saving faith. It was possibly they had some not they had knowledge of the gospel, of course. They they assented to the truths of the gospel, but they, but they never really trusted. They never really trusted in Jesus Christ. And their heart was still hardened towards the truth. Outwardly, they were doing the things that people expected them to do. But they were never really born again. And it becomes an act. But true believers, by reason of the unchangeable love of God... And his decree and covenant to give them perseverance. They will persevere as this is given by God. They're inseparable union with Christ. We, if we're in union with Christ, we cannot be taken away from him. That's also in, in Romans chapter 8. If you look at the end of the chapter. It says in verse 38, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things, 
present nor things to come, neither height nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate you from the love of God if you are a true believer. Nothing can take that away from you. And it says in question 79, his continual intercession for them and the spirit and seed of God abiding in them can neither totally nor finally fall away from the state of grace. Now, it says totally and finally. Yes, they can fall into sin. This question is in no way saying that a person who is born again can't backslide or anything else like that or can't fall into horrendous sin. This is not what it's saying. But it is saying that they can't, somebody who's a tr- true believer cannot totally and finally fall away from the state of grace. Why? Because you, you can, it was never you who saved you in the first place. And I, to quote once again from John MacArthur, it's a good quote, um, if you could lose your salvation, you would. Neither totally nor finally fall away from the state of grace, but are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. So, you never saved yourself. And we can look, we can forget about that. And we can, in our Christian walk, we can forget the standing upon which we come before the throne of grace is based upon what Christ has done. It is finished work. It cannot change. His love for you cannot change. So what we've got to do is go toward the finish line. Fight the good fight of faith and look toward the end where we'll be forever in the presence of the Lord. I hope this has been an encouragement to you in these troubling times Please keep the program in your prayers. Hopefully we will be back next Tuesday. It's been Paul Flynn. May God bless you all.